And what always, what started to happen was I started to jump out of bed in the morning, like so excited to get back to and continue what I, what I had started. And, uh, the energy that I saved up by not letting it run was sort of like the energy you, you garner in a battery, you know? I mean, it was like, and, mm. and, and a novel is a marathon. I mean, it's a, it's a, yeah. you know, it's, oh, yeah. a, it's a long run. Yeah. And so, um, I found that I just had so much more energy and I would just like hop out of bed. So excited to get back to work. So I got kind of evangelical about that method and I started to <laughs> yeah. pester my author friends. Now they all do it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it's, yeah. it's a good one. Hey folks, this is Travis Macy. I'm an athlete, author, speaker, and coach from Salida, Colorado. Welcome to the podcast. We talk on this show about adventure, mindset, and life. And that's exactly why Peter Heller is a perfect guest for our program. Mr. Heller was nice enough to join me in my living room to talk about doing the work, keeping the faith, giving the horse its head, flow, the writing process, and more. Uh, Really, I was just honored to do this interview, kind of like sitting in a room with one of your heroes. Uh, Heller is my favorite novelist. I'm very excited for his new book, The Last Ranger. It comes out tomorrow on August 1st, wherever books are sold. Check it out. I'm probably going to spend most of my day tomorrow reading this book. Peter Heller is a longtime contributor to NPR and a former contributing editor at Outside Magazine, Men's Journal, and National Geographic Adventure. He is an award-winning adventure writer and author of four books of literary nonfiction. Heller lives in Denver and was born and raised in New York. Uh, his first novel, which you've probably heard of, is called The Dog Stars. came out in 2012. It was the Apple iBooks Novel of the Year, Hudson Booksellers Top Fiction, Fic- Top <laughs> Fiction Pick of the Year, and an Atlantic Monthly and San Francisco Examiner Best Book of the Year. It was critically celebrated and a breakout bestseller and has been published in 18 18- languages. Dog Stars is a fantastic book, and uh, believe it or not, it's actually not my favorite Heller book. Uh, currently, The Painter from Knopp in 2014 is probably my favorite, but I also love The River and The Guide and The Orchard and, again, The Last Ranger coming out tomorrow It is a vibrant lyrical novel about an enforcement ranger in Yellowstone National Park who likes wolves better than most people. When a clandestine range war threatens his closest friend, he must shake off his own losses and act swiftly to discover the truth and stay alive. Uh, In case you can't tell... I am pumped for The Last Ranger. Uh, I also find it highly relevant to uh, issues here in Colorado, including the introduction of wolves by Colorado Parks and Wildlife uh, coming soon to a forest near you, Uh, actually in a forest near me, uh, for sure. One of the wolf introduction 
place is, is uh, just over Monarch Pass uh, from here in Salida. So anyway, hot issue in Colorado, and uh, Heller does a great job of bringing uh, those compelling issues to life through fiction. Uh, super psyched to bring you this interview. I think it's a good compliment to last week's interview with Ted Conover. If you haven't heard that, uh, go back and listen to episode 123. Uh, also, quick reminder that Mr. Conover is uh, coming to Buena Vista on August 2nd. So uh, after you finish the Last Ranger in your one-day binge read, uh, come on over to BV and check out uh, Ted Conover, last week's guest, talking about his book, Cheap Land, Colorado. Thanks, as always, to our presenting sponsors, The Feed and Kyoku. Check out thefeed.com slash Travis Macy. Uh, I was out yesterday in Leadville, um, Riding some of the Leadville 100 mountain bike course. I'm really getting excited to participate in that event this year. It's always a blast to be out there with friends and endurance coaching clients and the community. Uh, you know, this year it's really special for me to uh, get to participate in a Leadville 100 race um, with my dad watching uh, as his Alzheimer's progresses. Um, that's August 12th, and then the next day on the 13th, uh, Dad and I are going to run the Leadville 10K running race uh, with my kids and my sister's kids uh, and some more family. Um, big family thing. If you are out there, come out and say hi. Um, if you want to come out, we're, we're, we are going to be shuffling along with kids in strollers and the whole rest of it. So um, if that's something that you want to uh, join us for, look for us. Um, that day, August 13th, in Leadville. And as you are looking for your fueling needs for uh, Leadville and other events, again, thefeed.com slash Travis Macy. Uh, the current trends in high-performance fueling are for lots of water, lots of carbohydrates, and lots of sodium. Uh, I am currently doing 90 to 100 grams of sodium or excuse me, of carbohydrate per hour, uh, that if you take that much sodium, you might not survive. So, um, do the, uh, do the carbs, high carbs. We're talking here, something in the neighborhood of 400 calories of carbohydrates per hour. Um, that's a lot. A lot of that is coming from liquid sources. And again, if you check out thefeed.com slash Travis Macy, you're going to see a number of brands, uh, creating these uh, new era liquid carb fuel sources where you really can take in that much fuel. I know for me, I feel better and just super consistent while I'm training uh, and racing for long durations and the recovery is a lot faster. Uh, everything goes um, pretty much a lot better. I could talk for all the all, uh, all day about this, but uh, you're here for Peter Heller. So uh, here he is, folks, my favorite novelist, Peter Heller. Man, um, Peter, thanks so much for coming. It was just a pleasure to uh, sit with you in my living room and uh, chat about writing and books and flow and uh, other common interests. Peter Heller, 
pumped to be here with you in Salida, man. Thanks. Oh, it's great to be here. This was the first valley I landed in in Colorado when I came here for the first time from New Hampshire. I was 21. We did the, uh, let's see, I was just learning to kayak, and my friends took me on the numbers at five feet <laughs> and tried to drown me. Yep. <laughs> so, of course, I fell in love with the valley right away. Yeah, all you right. You survived man. that, man. You're, you're, you're enamored. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, uh, you got got your little Toyota truck here. You got your boat in the back. Uh, You were here speaking at the Salida Library last week for a big uh, citywide program. Yeah, Um, yeah. It was so fun. Uh, Really, really honored. I guess it was their first community read, and so it was a a great honor for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for for coming. Thanks for being part of it. Um, You bet. Did you get on the river? You're you're into paddling. Yeah. Uh, you're no, into I, surfing. We got this new wave. Uh, yeah. No, I haven't yet. <laughs> I may 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 hit it for half an hour before I go back. I've got. I just got in from um, a book tour in France like a couple of days ago, and I'm still disoriented. And I, I'm leaving town again. Yep. Uh, in a couple of days, so have to have to run back to Denver. But uh, we'll be back for sure. Yeah. We, all right. The man. numbers and and Browns Canyon are two of my favorite paddling stretches on earth yeah so you know good good for you and these are themes that come up uh in in your books the river the guide uh the painter i think is my favorite um it's full full of these fly fishing scenes and um just uh the the scenery the setting um for me in your books the uh the setting is a character um tell us about that well uh I think that's what I always loved about Westerns, you know, Western literature, Western movies, is that, you know, the landscape and the country was always sort of the main character, and all the human drama was thrown up against this grand, grand landscape. Um, I'm the type of person that feels more comfortable, you know, on a mountain creek uh, than I do in a crowded room, uh, for sure, and so my heart is always going to these wild places, and... um, I write in a coffee shop in Denver, and I sort of, I always start with the first line, you know, I just listen for the music of the language, the first line that I, whose cadence and sound I kind of love, and I follow that into the second and the third, and so the story always ends up riding the back of the language, and I always, because it's sort of my party and I can transport myself wherever I want to, I usually end up in places, you know, that are wild, and... Um, where I love being, you know, why not? <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Oh man. I love it. Which, which coffee shop do you write in? Oh, I'd never say it. it's like a secret, no, okay. secret yeah. fishing spot. <laughs> okay. You don't have to give it away, but they must have good. What, tell me at least what coffee do you like? I mean, do you just do they standard have the, they drip? Have do you do, you do uh, espresso? Drink, do you? No, I drink. So uh, it's all about caffeine for me. Yep. I drink two big cups of really strong French roast at home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't, you know, I just, I don't talk on the phone. I don't look at emails. I don't do any of that before I go to work. I go to the coffee shop. I get a, a latte with two shots in it and um, put on headphones that play the sound of um, Oregon rain. Mm. And um, then I just listen, listen for whoever's going to show up. Yeah, I love it. Do you do you write by time? Is it a time goal? Is it a word goal? Or yeah. is it just or is it just this is this is just what you do? You're there all day or half the day or what? No, like, what is, that's a really like? really good question. So, uh, I write a thousand words a day, seven days a week uh, when I'm on a book. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a few years ago. I read that that uh, uh, 
Graham Greene wrote 500 words every day uh, of his life. <laughs> he wrote in his flat in London. He wrote on his friend's yacht in the Mediterranean. He wrote at the Raffles Hotel in Singapore 500 words every day. And he was so meticulous about it that he uh, made a subtotal in the margin of his notebook. You know, this was before we had word counters. Yeah. And he would stop in the middle of a sentence, in the middle of dialogue, in the middle of a passionate love scene, he would stop at word 500. He was so disciplined. Wow. And I thought about that, and I thought, what is, what's he really doing? And, I, and, and it occurred to me that he was stopping in the middle. I mean, if you set a mm. hard word count and you stick to it, you're going to be in the middle of something every time. Yeah. And I thought... I don't do that. And none of my author friends do that. We all have a quote of, you know, some people have time for 500 words or they write for two hours or, you know, I thought, you know, I can write a thousand words with good energy. Uh, but if we get excited about a scene, you know, we blow through the quota and we write 3000 words and mm. we put down, close the laptop and go, phew, that was awesome. And we go on with the rest of our day. Problem with that is that's always a transition. Mm. It's always a double return. Yeah. It's white space. So you come back to white space every morning or whenever. Yeah. And you might as well start the book every day, mm. get the rock rolling back up the hill. So, uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to modify the Graham Greene method. It's going to be the, the Heller modified. <laughs> yep, yep. And I'm going to write a thousand words because I knew from magazine writing that I could do that with good energy. Uh, and I'm always going to go, I'm never going to write less. And I'm always going to go just past the thousand until I'm in the middle of a scene that excites me. Or if it's a, an essay, a thought. Yeah. And I'm going to make myself stop. And what always, what started to happen was I started to jump out of bed in the morning, like so excited to get back to and continue what I what I had started, and uh, the energy that I saved up by not letting it run was sort of like the energy you you garner in a battery, you know. I mean, it was like and mm. and, and a novel is a marathon. I mean, it's a it's a yeah. you know, it's, oh, yeah. a, it's a long run. Yeah. And so um I found that I just had so much more energy and I would just like hop out of bed so excited to get back to work. So I got kind of evangelical about that method and I started to <laughs> yeah. pester my author friends. Now they all do it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's, yeah. it's a good one. I like it. I I can totally see that. As as an endurance athlete, I like to finish workouts with like some energy and some stoke in the tank. Cause yeah. if you just, if you crush yourself every time and you come into the house on fumes, same thing. It's like, Oh, I got to go do yeah. that again. But if you come out and you're like, that was awesome. And I could have done more and the flowers were great. And then the next day you're like, I got to get back out there and do it again. Yeah, Right. And I, you know, that's interesting that you say that because I sort of treat writing as kind of an Olympic sport. I mean, I, mm -hmm. to me, it's very physical. Yeah. Uh, and I think, when I'm talking to young kids, you know, because my, my method is like, I don't outline, I don't plot. I did a lot of, I had to make a living when I got out of college. And so I, I started writing for magazines and the books that I wrote, I wrote like four nonfiction books yeah. that, yep. that, you know, sort of came out, came from those stories. And I always knew the ending and I always knew what was going to happen next because it happened, right? It was yeah. nonfiction. So uh, when I sat down to write a novel, I thought, you know, I don't want to know what's going to happen next. I want it to be like a river expedition. I'm a, I'm a kayaker and, you know, I love running rivers that I don't really know or that have never been described. You come around a tight corner and, and you don't know what's going to be there. Yeah. Or, you know, a mountain lion yeah. drinking or a waterfall or a flight of swallows. I love that surprise and thrill. And also I wanted to have as much fun as the reader. So... I never plotted her out one. I just kind of like, you know, listened, closed my eyes, listened, and went for it. But 
I always want to tell readers, and this is back to the sport thing, I, wa- I want to tell young writers who are coming up that it's not magic. It's not some fugue state where, you know, you know, these voices just come in from God. And, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, what it is, is uh, it's the flow a, a great basketball player gets into, you know, like mm. the other night. <laughs> you yeah, saw yeah. a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, dribbling down the court, um, driving, um, passing, taking another pass, you know, making a great layup and all without thought, all in a flow. Uh, but it's only because he did 10,000 passing drills and yeah. 10,000 layups. And, you know, I always have to tell that to the kids coming up. It's like, um, this is training. You know, you you sit down at your desk and, you know, you write, 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 write. You, I copied out poems that I loved. I copied out paragraphs of stories from great yep. masters yep. just to get the feel of it going through my hands. Um, you know, I, I, I made lists of words that I didn't know. I even put them on the wall like Jack London did with these cards mm. and uh, studied them. Um, I read the dictionary and, you know, sort of learned about the heft and, and, and the texture of different words and, uh, and you know, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of work, but if you're lucky and you put the time in, you know, just as you know, as you do with your, with your endurance sports, uh, you let go of everything and you get into a flow when, yeah. you're, when you're in it. Yeah. I love it, man. Steven yeah. Pressfield doing the work yeah, yeah, or, or yeah. Jokic, uh, you know, the Nuggets just won. You'll be back in Denver in time for the uh, championship parade. So. <laughs> oh, great. I, I, doubt if that's, I doubt if that's on your agenda other than like maybe the traffic jam that <laughs> gets in your way. <laughs> yeah, the parade, the parade's not my thing either. I, I'm, I'm like a hot weather Nuggets fan, but man, when they're into the Western Conference Finals, I, yeah, I, yeah. I became a fan again. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful to watch. I mean, some of that it is. was really yeah. cool. Yeah. But yeah, so... So getting into flow, you know, that's for yeah. me, that's what it's all about. And losing myself. That's every, yeah. everything I do in my life, I realize, and, and, and probably you too, is, is, a, is a quest for disappearance yeah. <laughs> yeah. where I forget I'm a human being. I forget my name and, you know, yeah. the, the energy from the activity starts to flow back to me, and, yep. uh, which is so great. Hey folks, quick interruption to tell you about Relevate by NeuroReserve. This is a core dietary nutrient supplement for lifelong brain health. You can find it at neuroreserve.com slash Travis Macy. You'll get 15% off. I tell you about Relevate every week because I take it every day. My wife Amy takes it. Both my parents take it. Uh, If you are like me and you have a family member or a friend or know someone who is navigating neurodegeneration, and honestly, that's probably all of us, uh, you've probably had some concern about your own cognitive wellness over time. Relevate by NeuroReserve is a supplement created specifically to target that brain health. Uh, This supplement, it's one big soft gel per day and two capsules per day, is formulated to bring your nutritional intake closer to the mind and Mediterranean diets. Uh, These are the diets that have been shown time after time in studies uh, to 
help prevent and stave off cognitive decline. Uh, we've talked about those diets on this podcast uh, with numerous guests, including Dr. Edward Park and Dr. Annie Fenn. Go back and check out those episodes. Uh, but again, in a nutshell, with this supplement, you are bringing your diet closer to what you would get on those eating programs. Um, I, I work hard by myself and with my family to eat as healthy as possible and try to stick to those dietary patterns. Uh, for me, it's it's also tough. And I don't know if these are uh, excuses or crutches, but uh, with, um, you know, kids and sports and just all this running around. Um, sometimes I know my diet is not exactly where I want it to be, uh, which really encourages me to, uh, again, take Neuro Reserve Relevate uh, every single day. Check it out. You can get yourself 15% off neuroreserve.com slash Travis Macy. Hey, thanks, guys. Back to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of disappearance, so when I was reading The River, uh, I was I was so into it that I uh, it was a Sunday, I remember, and I literally disappeared from my family. I was in a, hiding in a closet. <laughs> so that my, my wife left the room, but like, you know, I think our, our kids were, what, seven and nine at the time or something, and, and it was a Sunday, and like, I couldn't put it down, and, and you know, first you go to the bathroom for a while, and then I was like, literally in a closet, disappearing. Uh, um, and then the guide, the guide was just is good the guide i love kind of the pandemic theme i don't know if you were going for that i can't remember the timing of the ride right I, I, I wrote i wrote the guide um, right in the middle of, well i i love hearing that thank you yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're after uh but uh yeah if you could make um disappearing infectious right yeah exactly. yeah, yeah. but so the one i want to ask you about and this is further into the writing process yeah. is is the orchard um and this one yeah. you know I mean, Dog Stars, I'm sure you talk about it all the time. That was kind of the focus here in Salida with the big book uh, push. Yeah. But um, The Orchard, two things about it. So you take on the voice of a, of a first-person female narrator. And I'm curious An about— eight-year-old most of the time. Exactly. I'm curious <laughs> about how you did that and how you did it so well. And, and then also— um, the, the translation piece, we, we, we get into this, um, you know, it's, it's like ancient Eastern poetry. Were you translating? Were you going from translations? How, how did that all go down? Right. Well, I, I love the orchard and it, it's not out in print. It's in, on, a, on an ebook and an audible book. And, yep. uh, I hope, I hope one day we can get it out. In print, okay. Which yeah. I read it on, I, I read at night on the Kindle yeah. uh, cause it doesn't wake up my wife. And oh yeah. It's, it's I love it, man. I mean, it's uh, you know. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I loved writing it. It was such. A, it was so fun. You know, most of my uh, speakers or narrators or protagonists, if I'm writing in third, close third, are um, you know, they're guys and they're kind of guy guys sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it was so fun to stretch and just take on the voice of like an eight year old girl. I just, I just had such a blast, and. Um, so there was that, and she's so uh, full of beans and has such a good sense of humor. And <laughs> it's yeah. really adventurous. And resilience. There's Resilient. a lot going on, yeah. Yeah, spunky. I just, I, and imaginative. I just love this character. I love being, you know, with that character. And um, the poetry part. So, so the Orchard's about, 
uh, a young woman, well, she's in her mid-30s, who's a legendary translator of the Tang Dynasty poet Li Shui. Uh, and Li Shui um, left the court, the Tang Dynasty court, and exiled herself into the mountains with her little daughter and wrote some of the most beautiful poetry of the Tang Dynasty. Mm-hmm. And uh, my character, Haley Cormier, she sort of recapitulates that journey and exiles herself from Denver, mm-hmm. where she's a professor, uh, to this little orchard in southern Vermont with her little daughter and continues to translate uh, you know, her favorite poet. And uh, the Tang Dynasty poets are you know, some of my favorite literature on earth you know those are the books that are on my bed table Mm. and so i'm sort of have been steeped in those for years and um as the poems of li shui came up well they're fictional li shui is a fictional character and so the poems quote unquote in translation are poems that you know i wrote and so I do, I do get emails from people. It's like, well, I love the poems of Li Shui. Where do I, where, you know, I've been trying to find the books and I can't find them. And I have to email back and say, well, uh, <laughs> she's sort of in my imagination. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what's really the, interesting, because yeah. I thought I thought you were translating. You know, I, I just right. kind of kept reading and didn't do any research. And <laughs> yeah, well, this is so, so one of my proudest moments as a writer, I was, I was reading, uh, I think I was doing The River in Crested Butte and they have this stone library. You've probably seen mm-hmm. it. Oh yeah. And it was upstairs and it was a packed house and it was an October night. It was just so fun. And uh, after the reading, or somebody had asked about uh, what I was working on. I said, I just finished this book called The Orchard and I described the that this woman's a translator of the Tang Dynasty poet. And da, da, da. So a woman came up, long grayish hair, uh, wire rim spectacles, uh, and came up and said, you know, I am a translator of Tang Dynasty poetry. That's what I do. Mm. And I teach at the such and such university. Yeah. I, and I was, I said, hey, can I send you my manuscript? Would you please read these poems and tell me, you know, what you think? Yeah. And she said, sure, of course. So, so I sent it, it with trepidation. Mm-hmm. And she emailed me back a week later and said, these are marvelous. And they pass. Mm. And I, that was my proudest moment as a yeah. writer. You know, yeah. <laughs> if I could be a Tang Dynasty poet for a day, you know, yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Good. So fun. That's, yeah. That's... I, lo- I love the book, The Orchard. We'll, we'll have to get it in print so people can actually have physical copies. Yeah, I hope so. I enjoyed it too. Yeah, and, yeah. and you also got a motorcycle gang. Uh, right, there. right. They're always good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I love but a again, motorcycle. It's, yeah, it's a great setting, great characters. I mean, <laughs> the uh, gentle giants yeah. of the motorcycle gang. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. 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 So uh, so what about this this jump from nonfiction to to fiction? I've done a couple nonfiction books. I don't know if I aspire to fiction. I love reading fiction. Um writing it to me sounds really hard. Like, you know, if if for me, you know, if a nonfiction was difficulty level ten, like writing a good novel sounds like a twenty five or or something. I mean, was that always in your mind? Did you always know that yeah. you wanted to um, go that direction. Yeah, I told the story last night because I was in a live in a library event. But um, I'd always, you know, my dad read to me every night before I went to sleep, and mm. uh, he read a lot of poetry to me, and then some short stories. When I was eleven, I um, was in my little library in New York City where I grew up, and my little school. 
and I was looking for something to read, and I had a crush on the librarian. Her name was Annie Bosworth, and uh, mm-hmm. she was English, and yeah. I would have married her that day, just <laughs> the way she said my name, Pita. <laughs> uh, are you looking for something to read? And I, I was, uh-huh. And she pulled down In Our Time by Ernest Hemingway, the Nick Adams stories up in Michigan. I took mm-hmm. that home, and I was like, my heart fell out of my chest. It was, you know, I wanted to do that. I wanted to, you know hop off a slow moving freight train with a rucksack and camp by the big two hearted river and, and make coffee on an open fire and not burn my tongue the way he didn't burn his tongue and yeah. uh, fish for those beautiful trout. But mostly what I wanted to do was write like this guy it was that first experience I had of prose that just went through my skin straight to my heart. Mm. And uh, I wanted to do that. So it's been, you know, on my mind ever since I was 11 to write novels. But as I said, you know, when I got out of college, I had to make a living and I, you know, I was a, I was a kayaker and, um, you know, as a writer. And so I started writing for outside doing, um, expedition stories and stuff. And, um, it was a joyful diversion for like 25 years. Mm. You know, I went all over the world and I did more and more environmental stories as I traveled Cause I could see that, you know, you couldn't just write adventure anymore that I could see that the earth was having a really hard time. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing more of that. You know, I went with sea shepherd to Antarctica and went with the guys into the cove for the, the dolphin killing story and stuff like that. And, uh, I finally, I was followed an editor through all these different magazines. His name was Brad Wiener and he was at outside and it, and at adventure and at men's journal. And I'd followed him. And one day he called me up and said, Hey, I'm at business week. Do you want to write for business week? And I said, no. He said, why not? I said, because it's business week, man. <laughs> no way. And he said, listen, you can write anything you want as long as you can put a pie graph in there with, uh, with dollars. You know? and, <laughs> yeah. and it's amazing what you can fit a pie graph in, you know, mm-hmm. any store. Yeah. So anyway, I, I was writing for him and it was paying better money than I'd had, you know, ever been paid. And I finally thought, I've got nine months. This was like 12 years ago. And I thought, I've got nine months now where I, I you know, could probably not take a story and just write the novel I've wanted to write since I was 11. Mm. And I went, I went to the coffee shop and I sat down. I, I didn't know if it was even legal to not outline, start with the first line, you know, but I just started in and I, and I wrote, I keep the beast running. I keep the hundred low lead on tap. That's aviation fuel. Mm -hmm. Uh, I foresee attacks a few lines later. My name is Hig. One name, big Hig. If you need another, if I ever woke up crying in the middle of a dream, and I'm not saying I did, it's because the trout are gone, everyone. Mm. And as soon as I heard that and wrote it, I just thought, you know, I'm listening, speak. And then it was like this guy was on the other side of a campfire on an October night with the wind blowing the flames around. He was telling me what happened to him a few years before, and it was the most thrilling thing I'd ever experienced. Yeah. And it was like coming home. I mean, it was what I'd wanted to do since I was 11, so... All my reading, all my writing for magazines and everything I, I used as training, you yeah, know, as yeah. an athlete would. You know, I just, I, I threw in as much lyricism as I could. I learned how to um, evoke characters uh, very fast so that they jumped off the page, sort of mm-hmm. like, live, you know, living beings um, very quickly in a magazine article. I, I learned how to do that so that the reader wouldn't just, you know, chuck it out at the dentist's office. Yeah. Uh, you know, I learned how to establish a sense of place quickly that it would transport a reader. And I learned how to use the senses that way, use mm-hmm. as many senses as I could, because I learned that the readers trust the senses more than they do the the stuff they have to process through the the, the, the intellect. Yep. And um, 
So uh, I learned a lot. I never think of it as wasted time. It was a lot of time, but um, you know, I learned a lot, and I was I was ready, man. When I sat down in that coffee shop, you know, twelve years ago, I was ready. And that novel, you know, it, it came fully born. You know, I, I wrote a thousand words a day, as I said, and and in seven months, you know, the Dog Stars was done. I and and uh, I loved it. You yeah, know? and yeah, it's fun. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. I'm I'm hearing that because you had years and years of practice and hard work in the craft you were then able to jump into something that had a ton of uncertainty and an unclear outcome in this case writing a novel with with no outline right but you could do it with confidence yeah and um yeah i just had faith and uh you know it's sort of like riding a mountain horse i mean first of all there's two things that are interesting you know again the link with the physical world and the physical body but uh, I started swimming uh, for surfing. I live in Denver, and there's no wave. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved. I, I I started loving surfing. I came at it late in my life, but yeah. I just loved it. And um, there's something about swimming. I don't know that I could have written the novel until I had started swimming and learned to just breathe. Mm. You know, swimming is all about breathing and uh you got to breathe at a certain time or else you'll you know breathe water and it's about um you know going it's it's about sort of like sinking into the activity because otherwise if you don't just let go and just swim it's super boring you know it's not like you out on it some beautiful trail running so there's something about that um the stamina for just the work, you know, that I learned and the breathing, you know, breathing into the activity that I learned in swimming that I hadn't learned in other sports. And there was, there, there was also, uh, when I first got to Paonia, when I, when I moved to Colorado, I was like 30 and I moved to Paonia, I bought a horse and I, uh, borrowed a horse and I rode to encampment Wyoming and it took mm. a month mm. and it was cause I'd read all the Louis Lamore books, you know, yeah. the, these guys drifting the high lonesome horseback, desperate, yep. you know, yeah. making small fires so that, you know, their adversaries wouldn't see them yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all that. I wanted to do it. So I yeah. did it. And I had this mountain horse named Dandy. And he was a 20-year-old outfitting horse. That's the one I rode. And he was still full of spunk. And he knew the he knew the lay of the land way better than I did. And at the end of the day, if he saw a crossbar and some trees and a, and a fire ring, he would just pull in yeah. and say, it's time to he camp. He knew that was it. Yeah. <laughs> and if I ever lost a trail, I would just give him his head and just let him run. And he would find it. And uh, so that's the way for me the writing process was. It was like just give the horse its head, have faith, just let go of the reins, let him go. But he's a horse. He has a brain the size of a walnut. And every once in a while, he wants to just go down in some gully for some reason. And I know that's not a good idea. And so when I'm writing, it's that it's that feeling. I can feel the horse going into the gully. I can feel the energy dropping. I, there's something about the trajectory. I can feel that it's, it's going to go into a cul-de-sac just mm. because I've written, you know, a thousand stories. And... So without even, you know, without even thinking about it, sort of subconsciously, that's the flow part. I'll just nudge the horse over. We'll get back. Let's just go this way and then let the reins go again. Yeah. And so there's this constant um, sort of taking in a little bit of authorial control and then letting it go. Yeah. But now it's micro, it's micro decisions, you know, and they're happening unconsciously. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's what we do. You know, that's what athletes, you know, get to where, you know, all those decisions are happening. Uh, in the unconscious, and so they can just relax and yeah. release themselves. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
fun a, talking to an athlete. You know, I, I never do. And uh, it's great because there's there's so many parallels, you know. It's, yeah. It's cool. Oh, totally. Endurance athletics or, you know, watching the Joker make those passes. Like, you know, those those happen in the split second because yeah. it's just there. Yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. So, oh, man, just just breathe. Keep the faith. Give the give the horse its head. I, yeah. And I, I but love do it, all the work. My but, language. but do yeah. all the work for those years so that you can get to that point. Yeah. You know, I think and, and, and I guess I'll end with this, but I think um, I come to work every day with real humility towards the craft. It's like I sort of, you know, take the apron off the peg in the workshop, sharpen the chisels you know, start making the joints and sanding the wood and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and then just have faith that something good is going to happen. Uh, so it's a, it's a lot of work yeah. and it, it's the best thing. <laughs> well, thanks man. I, I love it. I, I really appreciate your time, Peter. Thanks yeah, for, of course. it's really like a, a pleasure to sit here with you, uh, in my house and chat about this. Yeah, and, me too. It's it um, really, really fun. Thank you so much, Travis. Tell us real quick. What's coming next. You got another book? What, uh, yeah, when, yeah. What, when, when should we look for it? Oh anything, yeah. You yeah. think we should know no spoilers, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So August 1st, uh, the last Rangers coming out and, um, it's about a, uh, an enforcement ranger in Yellowstone who likes wolves better than people, mm. and it gets them in some trouble. And then uh, a year from then, uh, there's a novel coming out called Burn, mm. and that's about two guys who meet every year. Uh, they live in Colorado, Vermont. They grew up together, and they meet every year to go moose hunting in Maine, mm. and a week into their trip, something happens that's just wild yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it all goes from there. So we got, we have two books coming, coming up. All right, man. Good job. Well, I will be marking my calendar for August 1st to uh, disappear in the closet. And, 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 and then maybe I guess what, August, 2024, put a sign on the closet. Hey, this reserve for yeah, these dates. Yeah. My <laughs> kids are getting older. Maybe, I, I, it, maybe I'll just go camping by myself or something. <laughs> good, I, good idea. Yeah. Hey, great talking to you. Yeah. Travis. Thanks, Thank Peter. You. Appreciate right. it, man. Take care. Yeah. Hey guys, thanks as always for listening to the podcast. Uh, you know, from what I can tell, Mr. Heller doesn't really do that many interviews. So, uh, boy, am I pumped that he took the time to uh, to be with us. It, he was super inspiring to me uh, for my own writing processes, for flow, for for the idea of momentum. And and honestly, this is something I've taken to heart. He talked about. Uh, his writing, you know, again, a thousand words per day and he stops at a thousand, boom, middle of the sentence, middle of the scene. And as you heard, a lot of the idea there is the momentum keeps going. If you stop in the middle of the scene, you know, right where you're starting tomorrow morning when you get back to your coffee shop there, secret coffee shop that is, uh, in Denver, the momentum continues, and I've been thinking about that myself, uh, specifically with with my cycling training. I mentioned uh, I'm going to do the Leadville 100 mountain bike race, and you know I've been riding hard, I've been riding long, but I also on my training rides I have been making sure that I get home or back to my truck after the ride with a little bit left in the tank. I think that if we constantly, uh, you know, drain ourselves or go to the well, as it were, physically and mentally, um, especially in training, it's it's hard to keep doing that. And and especially psychologically, if you're just crushing yourself every single day and kind of coming in, um, you know, running on fumes, um, it's hard to keep coming out there 
again and again, day after day. It, uh, it's psychologically draining. And, and it's also, you know, if you're doing too much going to the well and training, it's, it's probably putting you in a hole. So I've kind of been thinking in terms of if I finish almost all of my training rides, you know, with a little bit less in the tank and also just with, I think of it in terms of I finish the ride and I'm still excited to get back out there tomorrow. Uh, for me, that's huge. And that's continuing the momentum. Uh, it, it also, you know, again, I've talked about the psychological component. It has to do with fueling as well. If, if you're finishing your longer and harder sessions, and I'm not saying don't train hard because that's a big piece of it. And that's, you know, how when I'm coaching adult endurance athletes, I'm guiding them through hard training in the right amount. So I'm not saying that, but I also think um, fueling is a huge piece of it. In your daily practice of endurance training, if you're fueling and hydrating adequately and potentially even, you know, sort of overfueling, overhydrating, taking in, you know, maybe more than you needed to actually finish that session, um, you're probably going to feel better. <laughs> it's probably going to be more fun. I can almost guarantee your recovery is going to be faster. And again, you're going to be more ready to do the work again tomorrow or the next day or, you know, in, in your next uh, training block. So a little bit of food for thought. Uh, of course, that's a bit of a lead in to thefeed.com slash Travis Macy. Uh, you know, find your uh, find your fueling needs there. Um, I've, I've said this, uh, you know, currently I'm doing 90 to 100 grams of carbohydrate per hour. Most of that is liquid calories where I'm also getting a lot of hydration and a lot of sodium. For me, a baseline for sodium is, is about 380 milligrams for, per hour. Uh, some people may be more, some may be less. Um, and I'm, I'm getting those products at the feed dot com slash Travis Macy. They have great sampler packs for gels uh, and liquid fuel and also bars. Um, I do mostly liquid fuel and I'm currently also doing uh, one Morton gel approximately every hour. Uh, mostly the non-caffeinated ones, but for a race like the Leadville 100, um, I will mix in some caffeinated gels um, specifically at, at uh, kind of coming up on the hard climbs, uh, especially on the way back, um, and then potentially having some extra caffeine uh, on board later, you know, in case I need it if I go through a, um, through a low patch. Uh, anyway, like I said, I could go on and on about this, but uh, if you want to get in touch with me about endurance coaching or the books or uh, the podcast, other things, um, travismacy.com is probably the best spot. Um, also on Instagram at Travis Macy. And if you are out there, uh, at Leadville, um, look for us. Dad's going to be there both weekends. Um, August 12th, mom and dad will be hanging out, uh, watching the bike race, um, that I'm participating in on the 13th. We got the 10 K run, Dad and I are doing that together with the rest of the family. Uh, and then the next weekend, 100 mile run, uh, we'll be around for, for that, um, as well, supporting friends, supporting coaching clients, uh, supporting family members. Uh, my uncle Eric Pence, he, he was the last finisher at the Hard Rock 100. Way to go, Uncle Lee. He'll be doing Leadville as well. Uh, his son Ethan, I believe, is racing this year as well. So shout out to Ethan and, uh, 
whole bunch of Macy Endurance coaching clients and community members. Always great to be out there with them at the Leadville events. Uh, all right, guys, thanks a bunch. Um, who knows, maybe I'll see some of you in person August 2nd uh, in Buena Vista. Ted Conover, author of Cheap Land Colorado, is speaking at the Surf Hotel in the evening. You can go do the show notes for episode 123 to book your ticket for that. And uh, wherever you're located, uh, check out The Last Ranger out on shelves tomorrow. It's going to be awesome. The Travis Macy Show is part of the Palm Tree Pod co-network of podcasts. It is produced and edited by Anthony Palmer. The content for this episode is created by me, Travis Macy.